Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew speaks on Blessed are the Persecuted, preached on April 20th, 1997. Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Happy are the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted. This is the eighth and the last beatitude. Professor William Barclay, who cannot be accused of orthodoxy, speaks of Jesus' honesty here. Unlike many modern evangelists, Jesus clearly reveals the cost of being a Christian. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven will be persecuted. So Jesus says, blessed are those who bear the marks of persecution. And blessed are you when they persecute you. This beatitude is the most important beatitude in this chapter. Jesus expands it and makes application of it. There is great emphasis put upon the word persecution. It appears three times. Beatitudes beget troubles. If you think that this persecution idea is not very relevant today because you are not experiencing any persecution in these United States, then read a little book by Nina Shea, In the Lion's Den, published by Brotman and Holman Publishers. In it we read... More Christians have been martyred for their faith in this century alone than in the previous 19 centuries combined. In many countries today, it is a crime to be a Christian. True Christians have been persecuted throughout the history of the church. Professor Barclay says this, Christianity often came to send not peace, but a sword which divided families in two. It was literally true that a man might have to love Christ more than he loved father or mother, wife or brother or sister. Christianity often involved in those days a choice 
between a man's nearest and dearest and Jesus Christ. Still further, the penalties which a Christian had to suffer were terrible beyond description. All the world knows of the Christians who were flung to the lions or burned at the stake. But these were kindly deaths. Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch and set them alight and used them as living torches to light his gardens. He sold them in the skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pincers. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Red-hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to enlighten the agony. These things are not pleasant to think about, but these are the things a man had to be prepared for if he took his stand with Christ. So says Professor Barclay. Jesus says to the Christian, deny yourself, take up the cross, and daily follow me. And he meant what he said. So first we ask the question, why such persecution? Seventh Beatitude spoke of peacemaking, which I said involved the preaching of the gospel. But such peacemaking activity necessarily produces persecution because the gospel is foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. There is the offense of the gospel. Jesus said those who do evil hates the light. Jesus said, the world hates me because I testify what it does is evil. John 15, 18 through 25, it says, where Jesus says this, the world hates you. That is a given. But he says, but the world hated me first. He says, you are not of this world. He says, I have chosen you. He says, you are my servants. The idea there is, if the master is hated, then the servants of the master will also be hated. He says, they hate without reason. That is persecution for righteousness sake. They hated Jesus because he was light. He was righteousness. He was holiness. He revealed the wickedness of the world by his life and preaching. He exposed 
they are evil. Sinners are enemies of God. Sin at its heart is enmity against true God. So if God is hated, then Jesus is hated. Jesus was God, very God and very man. And if Jesus is hated, all his followers will be hated by the world. Turn with me to 1 John and chapter 3, where St. John the Apostle tells us this. Chapter 3 of 1 John, beginning with verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. True Christians, in other words, will be hated and persecuted. Because first, true Christians preach and declare that the Bible is the truth, the only truth, and nothing but the truth. You just preach that and you'll be persecuted. Nobody will persecute you if you believe in multiculturalism or multi-religious ideas. But the moment you believe in the absolute infallibility of God's word, the Bible, you will be persecuted. Secondly, when you preach the biblical doctrine that all people are sinners and God's wrath abides upon them, you preach that, you'll be persecuted. Preach also, Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Very God and very man. Oh, there won't be any persecution if you preach that he is a Savior, along with many other Saviors. You will not have persecution if you say Jesus is a God, a Savior, a prophet. There won't be any problem at all. People will look upon you as magnanimous and a nice man. But when you preach that Jesus alone is God, alone is Savior, alone is the prophet, the priest, and the king, you will have trouble. And you go and preach this in the Muslim countries and preach that. You go to Saudi Arabia and preach it. You go to Iran and preach it. You go to Pakistan and preach it, and all of a sudden there will be persecution and read about it in that little book that I mentioned before. Preach salvation is only through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ who was crucified, dead, buried, and raised upon the third day and so on. You preach it. You believe it and you preach it and you will be persecuted. You preach that our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord of the universe, and not of any guru or any Caesar in the whole world. And you will be persecuted. You preach Jesus Christ is coming again to judge all those who reject him. 
Let me read to you what St. Paul is telling us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 6 and following, God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at all those who have believed. You preach that and you'll be persecuted and you don't even have to go to Iran or Saudi Arabia or any Muslim countries. You don't have to go to China to do it. You start preaching here and you'll be persecuted. Yes, you go ahead and preach on eschatology. Tell that there is eternal Life and eternal damnation when Jesus Christ comes again to judge. Jesus was the light of the world, exposing its darkness and revealing the way of salvation. Even so, Christians are the light of the world. And every day when we live our Christian life, we are exposing the evil of the world and revealing the only way of salvation. Christians preach the law and the gospel. Christians oppose moral relativism. You remember there was a wicked king in Israel. His name was Ahab. And there was a prophet by name Micaiah. And he shut him up in prison. And he says in 2 Chronicles 18, verse 6 and 7, he says this to Jehoshaphat. He says, I hate him. I hate him because he alone stood for truth. He alone was the true prophet of God. I hate him, said Ahab. Cain hated Abel. Joseph was hated by his own brothers because of righteousness. Joseph was hated by Potiphar's wife because of righteousness. David was hated by Saul. The three Hebrew children were hated by the Babylonians. Daniel was hated by Medo-Persian people. Mordecai was hated by Haman. And tradition says Isaiah was sown into two, cut into two. Jeremiah, tradition says, was stoned to death, stoned to death by his own people in Egypt. The prophets were hated because they were prophets of the Lord. Jesus was hated. He came to his own. His own received him not. He was sinless. And he condemned the sin of the world because of his own presence and his own preaching, his own life. He was light. They who hated him were children of the devil. They hated him by words and by deeds. They called him a Samaritan. They called him a drunkard. They hated him by words and by deeds. And that is the way the Christians will be hated, by words and by deeds. 
A Christian is one who is united to Jesus Christ. And that's a problem. And we will experience what he experienced by the world. They are servants of Jesus Christ. They are like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this beatitude is all about. Their citizenship is in heaven. They are not of this world. They speak of the eternal things and not the temporal things. Their conversation is different. Let me tell you, Jesus came to divide, as Barclay said. And concerning Jesus, the pious Simeon in Luke chapter 2 said this to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And absolutely that is true. Very nice and cultured people will act as venomous serpents when you say that they must trust in Jesus Christ alone to be saved from the wrath of God. You must trust in him alone. Unless you trust in him, he will judge them and send them to hell all of a sudden. Nice people, polished people, educated people, rich people, smiling people, happy people will manifest the thoughts of their hearts, show their hatred toward Jesus Christ and therefore they will show their hatred toward you. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. What did Jesus himself say? About his own coming into the world. Verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The parents disown children. Because they believe in Jesus Christ. And vice versa. And let me tell you, this, this persecution that Jesus is speaking about is for righteousness' sake, for his name's sake, for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Peter says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? So let us not conclude that everyone who is persecuted is blessed. It will not happen. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 15, St. Peter tells this. St. Peter who heard this Sermon on the Mount, he says this. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. You want to know who persecutes us? Well, the answer is very simple. The world persecutes us. Those who oppose the Lord Jesus Christ persecutes us. This includes, of course, formal religious institutions. Churches that no longer believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Scripture. They engage in the persecution of true believers. 
Jesus Christ was persecuted especially by the religious establishment of his day. And that persecution continues to this day. The churches, Roman Catholic and Protestant, persecuted and murdered many true believers throughout its history. Yes, there are many forms of persecution. First, I said family. Parents disown and disinherit their own children because of the crime they committed that they trusted in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Marriages are broken up necessarily because the husband or wife believed in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. In the workplace, you are fired, demoted, spoken against because of your Christian faith. And in school, you are spoken against and ostracized for being a Christian. Your stand for truth make others extremely uncomfortable. And your social life, people, your old bodies drop you suddenly. You are a killjoy. He is not found anymore. He does not drink, smoke, revel, carouse. He no longer speaks filth. Yes, political life also. There is persecution. You no longer think politics is religion. You no longer think Republicans or Democrats are honest and standing for truth. You begin to think they are in for their own self-aggrandizement. Rome accused the ancient church of cannibalism because they misinterpreted the Holy Supper, it spoke about eating and drinking of the body and blood of Christ. They accused the ancient church of atheism because they didn't have any visible gods they worshipped. They accused the ancient church of immorality because they spoke about love feasts. They accused the ancient church of disrupting family life, which was true but the disruption brought about by the Lord Jesus Christ. They accused the ancient church and said they are unpatriotic because Christians refused to worship Caesar, which was a principle that was introduced in the Roman Empire to bring about unity of the far-flung Roman Empire in the person of Caesar. And every person is to go to a certain place and take a pinch of incense and offer it to the altar. Demonstrating your worship of Caesar and then receive a certificate that you have done so. Then you can go and worship any gods you want. But as you throw this incense upon the altar, you must also say, Caesar is Lord. They refused. They would not do it. They would only say, Jesus, curious, Jesus is Lord. And today in China, millions of members of house churches are considered outlaws and criminals because their, their churches are not registered with the atheistic government. It appears 11 million to 100 million 
of Chinese people belong to these underground churches. So many of these are arrested, imprisoned, and sent to a Chinese word here, L-A-O-G-A-I. It means reform through hard labor camps. There are many Christians in China are engaged in this reform. And we buy the products that come from them. It's cheap, isn't it? And their religious persecution intensified in 1996. Or in Sudan. A Muslim country, Sudan, and there are some Christians in there. And they are given these options. Convert to Islam, flee, be killed, be raped, or taken as slaves. And there are many slaves who were Christians. Many, many children of Christians are taken and sold for $15. And they are slaves in the homes of these people. Let me tell you, this is not some ancient history. This is present, current history. Life of Christians in China, in Sudan, in North Korea, in Pakistan, in Uzbekistan, and Saudi Arabia, Vietnam, Egypt, Nigeria, Cuba, and Laos is very, 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 very hard. U.S. citizens cannot even worship Jesus Christ in some of these countries like Saudi Arabia. It is against the law. And our own State Department is silent about it. Mom about it. Because let me tell you, to us, trade is more important than truth. And we are all happy when the economy is good, isn't it? Let's turn to Second Corinthians, and let me read to you what was the experience of Saint Paul himself. What Jesus preached, Saint Paul experienced. Second Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 23: Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. And been exposed to death again and again five times. I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And so on. You just read it. Thirdly, let me tell you, this persecution is not accident. This is divine ordination. In Acts chapter 4, verse 22, St. Paul, after being stoned and left for dead, he comes back to these churches and he says this, we must, notice, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It is a must. In Matthew 10 and verse 22, listen to what Jesus says, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. It is the truth. There is no question, there's no doubt about it. It's not put in the subjunctive mode. It's real. 
And you begin to wonder why nobody persecutes us. It's because we are not living that Christian life. We are not shining as light in the world. And that is the only reason. Matthew 24, verse 9, in this Olivet Discourse on eschatology, Jesus says this, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. And that includes this nation. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, St. Paul now instructs his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, in fact, everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I say that is a guarantee. Then you ask the question, why am I not persecuted? The answer is what? I'm not living a godly life. It is the godly life that causes the other person to be heated up and be upset and feel condemned and be unhappy. But the truth is, everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. First Thessalonians 3 and verse following we read, no one be unsettled by these trials. And now he says to the Thessalonians, St. Paul says, you know quite well that we were destined for them. Divine ordination. Let me tell you, the apostles were not fraud. Like modern preachers, the apostles instructed them what Jesus Christ taught them. Teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And the apostles told them, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be persecuted. The apostles taught them well. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, Jesus says this, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. And I could tell very easily, they are no longer offensive to the world. No longer offensive to the world at all. He says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. And the world applauds you and appreciates you and commends you. Then you can deduce that you are no longer a true prophet of the Lord, but a false prophet. Who always speaks smooth things created from their own subjectivity and not having heard from the spirit of the living God. But you begin to wonder now, if this is the case, how in the world can we live? <laughs> Let me give you some answer. Grace to endure. When we are persecuted for righteousness sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, then you must conclude these things. You have made your calling and election sure. You must conclude that we are true Christians. Number two, we belong to the kingdom of God. Number three, we are righteous. Number four, we are chosen by the Father and the Son. Number five, 
Ours is the kingdom of God now and in the future. Number six, Jesus is truly our Lord. That's why we are being persecuted. Number seven, we must have great assurance of salvation coming to us by this detection. Number eight, we are not false prophets. Number nine, we are not worldly. You see, worldly people are not persecuted. Number ten, we are in good company with the prophets of the old and with the apostles. And number eleven, let me tell you, we are truly born again. It is new birth that gives us a new nature. Paul says, put on the new man, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, when we are persecuted, we can arrive at this conclusion that truly we are born of God. There is something different about it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and nobody persecutes flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We are born of the Spirit of God. And the world is seeing that essential differentia, the new nature. But having said these things, let me say a few more words that will give us great comfort when we are being persecuted. Number one, turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. You see, the preachers, the evangelists, they don't tell you these things. They are counting heads. Therefore, they have to hide certain aspects of the gospel. But St. Paul, the true apostle, he says this in the 29th verse of chapter 1 of Philippians. He says, for it has been granted to you. In other words, God has given you grace. That's what it means. It has been granted to you. And if God has given us grace, praise be to God. Everything is all right. Isn't that true? It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also what? To suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. In other words, when God saves us, he gives us grace by which we trust in Jesus Christ, and by which we also endure persecution. Yeah. <laughs> we should praise the Lord. Let's praise him. He's not asking us to suffer persecution in our own strength. He gives you grace. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 14. Turn to it. Let me tell you what St. Peter is saying about persecution. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you must make this deduction. What is it? You are blessed, he says. And what else? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And people are abusing you, slandering you, speaking all manner of evil falsely against you, then you must draw this conclusion, I am blessed by God, and not only that, the Spirit of God and of glory is now resting upon me, enabling me to endure persecution. Turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 1. Here St. Paul is speaking about 
the Thessalonians who received the gospel with much persecution. Chapter 1 and verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, <laughs> this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God and glory that rests upon you, gives you the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, and peace that fills your soul and overwhelms you. And then you can look at persecution in the eye and face it. Number four, as I said, you are not doing it alone. There is divine guarantee given in the Holy Scripture that the presence of God will be with you from beginning to end. Isaiah 43 and verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. Your Savior will be with you. When you go through waters and fire. You remember the story of three Hebrew children thrown into the fire by the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar looked and he saw, hey, wait a minute, there is a mathematical problem here. <laughs> we put three and we see four and the one is like the sun. See, that's the presence of God. God is with us, brothers and sisters, in our afflictions, in our troubles, in our trials, in our waters, in our fire. Yeah. Matthew 28 and verse 20, he says, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the ages. Number five, First Peter chapter one and verse six. It says, "In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come that your faith of greater worth." than gold that perishes though refined by fire. Your faith may be proven genuine so as to result in glory, honor, and praise when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, in other words, persecution purifies our faith. It separates the authentic from the inauthentic, the genuine from the false, and the imitation. Romans 5 and verse 3 tells us we rejoice in tribulations also knowing tribulation produces character, patience. In other words, tribulation is protective of Christian character, not destructive of Christian life. It is protective of Christian character. It brings us to maturity. This is divine order. And turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 4. That it is also producing something else. This temporal troubles. This lightweight troubles. Even death is considered lightweight. 
Look at 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving, bringing about, achieving for us what? Eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen and so on. It is achieving what? Eternal glory. And you feel that you can now endure because God is with us. God gives us grace and it is productive of holiness and character and glory. Number five, what is the reaction of us to persecution? So, how should we react? Jesus has commanded us how to react. Rejoice and be glad. That's a command. You are blessed. Let me tell you, the Jewish idea was if you are suffering and if you are persecuted, it's because you were wicked and God cursed you and punished you. And now Jesus reverses it. And says if you are really persecuted for righteousness sake, it is because God has accepted you. God has blessed you. You are righteous. Rejoice and be glad. The word glad comes from a Greek word which means leap for joy. And Luke chapter 10 and verse 21, when Jesus realized how God is saving his people, it says he leaped for joy. It's not a little bit of joy. It's a demonstrative joy. It's a joy of the one who landed on the moon. It's a joy on a, of a mountain climber who reached finally the top of the Everest. And he leaps for joy. But look, this is what we have to do and we must do. Enabled by God and the spirit of glory when we are persecuted. Not retaliation, but great rejoicing. Not sulking, but singing. As we read St. Paul and Silas doing in the prison in the midnight. They were beaten up, stripped, beaten, flogged severely and thrust into the prison in the, in the middle of the night. They were praying and singing. Yeah. Let me tell you, it didn't come from their own. God enabled them. God was with them, spirit of God and glory. Not cursing, but blessing. See, St. Paul says here, Noah, if we read in Acts 5.41, this the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They thought it was great. Or you go home and read the reaction of St. Stephen. He was being stoned because he was making peace by preaching the gospel. And he looked up and he saw a heaven opened. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus Christ standing. And he kneels down and, and prays for those who were stoning him to death. That's a reaction. Rejoice, leap for joy. We are being perfected for the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, rejoice and leap for joy. Because St. Paul says, I am convinced nothing 
shall separate me. Nothing in all of creation, nothing. Sword, death, life, present, future, demons, angels, height, depth, troubles, danger, nakedness, famine, nothing. I'm sure the astronomers who study astronomy and their eyes pop out sometimes when we see the uh, enormity of the universe. Isn't that true? But let me tell you, the whole universe is finite. Finite. The devil is finite. God is infinite. St. John tells us in his epistle, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The whole world is nothing and less than nothing. And our God is the sovereign Lord of the universe. I am convinced, he says, beyond a shadow of doubt, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Even death cannot separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The maximum persecution can do is to kill you. But now by conclusion, let me tell you, you can avoid persecution if you do these things. First, preach health, wealth, and gold now. I was reading counterfeit miracles and where this one great preacher says, I'm sick and tired of hearing golden streets. I want gold now. And he's making a lot of gold. And I was told that he's traveling by Concord and lives in $2,500 a night hotel room. He got it. He got the gold. And he gets interviews on television. Do that. You'll be okay. Be lovers of the world. Go ahead. Be lovers of the world. Be like a chameleon. Blend with it. Then you can avoid persecution. Number three, don't talk about the Bible and its morality and its value and its law. Just ignore it. Don't preach the gospel. Number four, be a false prophet. Jesus said, the world will praise you. As they praised the false prophets in the earlier times. But the problem is then you will have no part in the coming kingdom. (laughs) That is a big price you pay to avoid persecution. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Let me read to you from the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be there. Will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Or mourning. Or crying. Or pain. For the old order of things. Has passed away. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. No longer there be any curse. 
the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. It's a big price then. We will have to pay to avoid persecution. So I say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be persecuted for a little while. But God shall be with you. And bring you into his eternal kingdom. Where Jesus said your reward will be great. For you shall live forever. In fellowship with him. No more curse. No more tears. No more death. No more persecutor. New heaven. And new earth. End of persecution. And endless enjoyment of life awaits you who are lovers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to be children of God, lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ, believers of your word. Help us to be light and shine in the middle of the dark world. And help us, O Lord, to receive grace, sufficient grace, when persecuted, knowing that you will be with us and you are doing a job upon us to bring us into your eternal kingdom. Hallelujah. Where there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen.